Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member in an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I want to introduce you to my friends, Jawanda and Rachel Mast. I first met Jawanda Mast several years ago at a Buddy Walk on Washington. Now, if you aren't familiar with the Buddy Walk on Washington, that's what we call a Hill Day. It's a day when a bunch of Down syndrome advocates and self-advocates meet with their legislators to discuss the legislative priorities for the Down syndrome community. 
Jawanda's passion and her sense of humor drew me to her immediately. She is an absolutely incredible advocate, a true expert in rallying people behind a cause. I'm so excited for you to learn from Rachel and Jawanda, and I want to tell you a little bit about them before we get started. Mother and daughter team Jawanda and Rachel Mast are passionate about meaningful inclusion of individuals with Down syndrome and other intellectual disabilities in all aspects of the community and have presented at many conferences. The two of them worked alongside advocates from across the country for over eight years to pass the Achieving a Better Life Experience Act, otherwise known as the ABLE Act, which allows individuals with disabilities to save money in 529-type accounts without jeopardizing their benefits. Because of her work on passing the ABLE Act nationally and in Kansas, Rachel became the first person to open a Kansas ABLE Savings Act account. Rachel Mast, who has Down syndrome, is 22 years old and a graduate of Olathe South High School, and she works as a hostess at an Olive Garden and wants to someday live in a pink house. How about that? Jawanda Mast is a national grassroots advocacy speaker and consultant. Jawanda married Jonathan Mast. Along with Rachel, they make their home in Olathe, Kansas. Jawanda says their work is a labor of love and conviction. We couldn't decide on just one topic, friends, so we didn't. Today, I'm going to talk to Jawanda and Rachel about advocacy, kind of all types of advocacy. And in a few, few weeks, we will hear from the two of them on all things transition to adulthood. I do have a little note on accessibility. Rachel used a script to answer most of the questions in today's episode. If you are not familiar with a speaker that has Down syndrome, it may be helpful for you to pop over to my website to download the script that Rachel uses. This will help you follow along, and I'm sure that you won't want to miss a word because Rachel and Jawanda deliver pure gold in these episodes. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Jawanda. Hi, Ashley. Hey, Ashie. I'm so happy you joined me. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Thank you, Ashie. It's it, my honor. Yes, it's our pleasure. Thank you for doing this and for doing all you do for families. Well, it is an absolute honor. You all do a lot for families and for self-advocates also. Let's start off this way. Rachel, would you tell us about yourselves and also what you like to do? Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Rachel Mast. I am, I am 22 years old and I like to dance and act and hang out with my friends and going to see movies with my friends. And I love, I love social media. I have, I have a boyfriend. His name is Timothy. A, a boyfriend, huh? Where did you meet your boyfriend? That's a great question. Uh, I met him at college at uh, Missouri State University down in Springfield, Missouri. I love my school um, and my family and so on, of course. Um, I met him there and that's most it. We just made up, we were friends and then more, more than just friends until we said we were both very good friends. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Well, we're going to talk about your college experience in a little bit. Let's, um, let's do this one. Would you like to share a little bit about having Down syndrome with my audience? So sometimes people think I can't do things because I have Down syndrome, but we're all different with help. I do, do the same things as my friends. I have a lot of people who support me. Some of, uh, some of them have Down syndrome, or disabilities and some don't. Even they have different abilities or disabilities than me, we can be all kind and be and support each other. 
And that's the whole secret of, of having friends and being in a community is being kind and supporting one another. That's really wise, Rachel. I know that one of the things that you love to do is to be a self-advocate. And I know that you take your role as a self-advocate very seriously. So why don't you tell my audience what kind of advocacy that you've done? I do a lot of workshops with people. I've been to a lot of states. I want to name all of them. <laughs> my talk is called, I Love My Life. I tell people about my hopes and dreams and the fun things I have done. My mom and I go around together and do a lot of from Washington, D.C. and do stuff I to share about my life life with others. I did a workshop about social media and how to open your first ABLE account. I opened my first ABLE account here in Atlanta, Kansas City, my hometown. Uh, also, I did a workshop for NDSC to taught and taught people how to do a video they can use to, to advocate. And I actually got to see a little bit of that video that you did for NDSC, the National Down Syndrome Congress on self-advocacy. It was wonderful. Thank you, Ashley. You're welcome. So Jawanda, I know that you've worked both formally and formally in advocacy for a lot of your career, if not all of your career. And I think that we could argue that anything that we do is advocacy, whether or not it's for people with disabilities or for ourselves or whatever. But tell us, why don't you just kind of give my audience an overview of some of the advocacy work that you've done? Well, I had many lives before Rachel was born, but, and I, and I always say this, I grew up in rural Arkansas and I was in 4-H, which a lot of people don't even know about now. And um, that was a small rural community and it was my ticket to get to do so many things. And I got to go to Washington DC and I fell in love with the whole legislative process. And people ask me how I know how to do all these things I've done all these years. And I say this because I grew up in 4-H and then I was an extension agent. But mm -hmm. so I got a really good basic understanding of legislative advocacy from that. So when Rachel was born, I learned pretty quick that we were going to have to advocate for a lot of things. One of the things you start hearing about immediately is school advocacy, even when your children are born. Um, and that, you know, they should be in the least restrictive environment with other, um, with typically developing students. So that was some of our first advocacy was in with the school district and seeing to it that Rachel was in the gen ed classroom and had meaningful inclusion. Inclusion, just sticking the child in the classroom is not meaningful inclusion and we wanted meaningful inclusion. Amen. Uh, we had other things. We, I had to advocate for early intervention. We had early intervention issues, not wasn't Rachel not getting services. We had great services. We were having issues with the state of Tennessee. We lived in Tennessee when she was born. Yeah. And just my background in advocacy and nonprofit and community education was kind of a perfect fit with our group there in Memphis that had a walk, but didn't really kind of had a shell of an organization. And uh, I got involved. We had just a perfect storm of wonderful people to work together. And we built the Buddy Walk and worked ourselves into being a, a really um, strong disability advocate, well, a, a family, um, just an organization to support people with Down syndrome and their families. But also we partnered with everybody in that community, we had to do that. Um, so when I was there, I got to work with the other groups in Tennessee to start a government affairs committee and we called it, and it still exists today, the Down Syndrome Policy Network of Tennessee, to focus on state advocacy. And that's where I learned a lot about state advocacy and um, the things that we needed to do. I also went through pa partners in policymaking. I think that is one of the best gigs around. Anybody that can go through partners in policymaking should. It helped me so much at the time Rachel was six and while I had a really good grasp on early intervention and school age years, I really knew very little about what was going to be coming down the pike. 
I'm glad I paid attention because we're there now. I, we were in this partners in policymaking with self-advocates, with adults with disabilities. And that was a great learning experience for me. And I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, it also took some of my fear away because my interaction with those adults with disabilities helped me to see that everything was gonna be okay. And it was a natural kind of thing. But some of the biggest things I've been known around the community for is helping to pass the Achieving the Better Life Experience Act, which we worked on for eight years to pass on the federal level. And I would say um, kind of personally and professionally, that is my proud, one of my proudest moments. My proudest moment may be when Rachel graduated from high school oh, because you. with a diploma, because that was a 15, 16 year venture of advocacy. Uh, we moved to Kansas when Rachel was nine. I have worked on state ABLE Act, state seclusion and restraint legislation, organ transplant, non-discrimination, um, um, laws. We have we have a supported decision making law in place. We work on the waiver all the time. There's always something that needs worked on. But those are some of the things that I've worked on, and been and have just been very fortunate to get to be able to use my voice and my privilege, honestly, to be able to advocate for people with Down syndrome. So, you know, Ashley, you know me, so you know I could go on talking about that for the rest of the night. So. But you know what? I still think you sold yourself short because that's like the tip of the iceberg of what you've done. And, you know, Jolanda, I think your answer is, so applicable to so many different people because really it's just been this like kitchen sink of advocacy in your life as you have figured out what's next for your little girl and who's now a, a grown-up girl and for the community of her peers and her friends and your peers and your friends and um that's what it's all about it's just identifying a problem talking to people and seeing if you can find a solution and um, you know, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you and, and bring your message to my audience. So well, you're very kind. And I will say, I just think it's so important to work with other people to figure out whether it's elected officials or other groups that you have to work with. It is so important to find the common ground and work together to pass good legislation. Right. And I've always believed and always said, Rachel's going to be fine because she's got a big mouth mama bear here that's going to see to that. But there are a lot of people out there that don't have the opportunities that we have had. And I think that it is incumbent upon those of us who can to do what we can to pave the path for those that come behind us and for others. And a few years ago, I adopted this little saying where I said, I do what I do for those who can't, want, and don't. And I feel like God has led me to do this advocacy. And it's not my place to determine if you don't do it because you can't, don't, or want. It's my place to do what I'm supposed to do. So, and I have a hashtag, labor of love and conviction, because it is, it's a labor of love and conviction. And I like it. So that helps. A lot of people don't like it. So, yeah. That's true. And we all need to do what we like, because if you don't like it, then it's not going to come out genuinely. So I know, you know, when I asked you that, <clears throat> that question at the beginning, what I um, kind of was hinting at is advocacy happens no matter where we are. It happens for ourselves. It happens for our family. It happens everywhere. And I know you are, when you talk about advocacy, you talk about how advocacy does happen in so many different settings. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about places where advocacy can happen? And Rachel, I would love to hear your input on this. Um, maybe, Rachel, we could start with what's an example of how you could advocate in the work setting? I know you've got a job, don't you? Yes, I do. She has a bunch of jobs these days, but <laughs> you're a busy lady. So how do you advocate at work? I, okay, so I start, my stuff is off garden, for example, my table's off garden. Um, I advocate at off garden. Um, if the boxes were too heavy, I will, uh, I will always go to my co-workers and ask for help. And, and a lot of people come to see me as a hostess 
I host this. <laughs> I I have gotten and and why people with real children come to see me at Olive Garden. They tell me that I'm a role model. That make that makes my heart happy. Oh, it makes my heart happy. And you know, Rachel, just your presence at Olive Garden is advocacy without you saying or doing a thing. Your mom said something that was really powerful before, and it's really neat to hear it from somebody that's as involved as your mom is and somebody that's as accomplished as your mom. So, and I had the same hesitation that she said. She said when she did Partners in Policymaking, which by the way, Joanna, you're my second podcast guest in a year to recommend that program. Um, so Diana Abril recommended it in hers if you're listening. Um, so what she said was learning about um, issues that affect adults and being with adult self-advocates really kind of helped her to feel a little bit less fearful about what was what was to come in your life when you were a little girl. And I had the same um, hesitations and really being on Capitol Hill with self-advocates like you um, helped me to learn more about the adult experience and helped my anxiety kind of go away. So when parents see you, just see you at Olive Garden doing your job, they think, oh, maybe my child could have a job too, you know? And so just being there, Rachel, is so, so important. What about medically? Do you advocate for yourself at the doctor's office? Hey, Ashley, before yeah. we do that, um, I want to read something. You were talking about Olive Garden and how her being there would help other families and give them hope. Yeah. One of her former managers, I asked him to give me a quote for something I was working on. And he sent this and he said, um, there isn't a person that walks through the door and doesn't get a big smile when they see Rachel working. Guests from all over come just to see her and that just doesn't happen. And it's true, people come in there all the time. They've seen her schedule that we post on social media and they come to see her. Wow. And then he said, it's the passion she brings to work every day that makes it easy for the rest of us to show up. I have had parents of children with Down syndrome dine in, and as they leave, they would tell me how seeing her there brings hope to their children having a future and that they don't have to worry about it. Oh, that Maybe is so beautiful. <laughs> the first time I read it. So that it's great to have people that help us have hope in our lives. So it really is. And Rachel, just being there and having a job, which you love, is giving people even more hope. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So um, what about at the doctor's office? Do you ever have to advocate for yourself at the doctor's office? Yes. So I advocate for myself at a doctor's office to tell them what's going on with me. My mom makes me have time alone with my doctors as possible. Um, and for something I want to talk talk about without her, I can I can they talk to me and listen to me. After this, I don't know if I chair going up high and remind them. My mom helps with medicate. Um, medicate is called medicate. Um, uh -huh. I said my manager's on my phone to help me take my medicine every morning and every night. That is really awesome to do reminders for your medicine. I do that for myself and for my kids because otherwise I forget, but I don't do it for the dog and my poor dog doesn't always get her medicine, Rachel. <laughs> her dad has Alexa tell him when the dog needs her medicine. If you have Alexa, oh, that's smart. That's what I use Alexa for as reminders. You know, um, imagine you have a lot of parents listening to this. One of the things that I share with a lot of parents, I think it's really important, important piece of self-advocacy for uh, for parents to start when our kids are really young, having doctors speak to them or the restaurant, the waiter, the waitress, or whatever you're doing, even if they struggle to communicate, you can help clarify that, but this is about them and their voice needs to be heard. And so 
from the time Rachel was very small, and we've been fortunate to have really good doctors that that didn't seem to be an issue with, very respectful of Rachel. And I think for the most part, they've listened to her. Um, so that's something I would really encourage parents to do is start early. You know, and I get asked that a lot, actually, because I think people, um, you know, my Jack is crazy. He is like, he's, if he's grouchy, he's going to tell you he's grouchy and he's grouchy quite often. Um, and he is, um, you know, he has ADHD. So particularly when he was little, he didn't sit in the booth for the entire meal and that kind of thing. And um, so a lot of people follow up when I make that recommendation and say, yeah, but I don't want to make the other person wait for five minutes while Jack decides whether or not he feels like telling people that he wants a you know, spaghetti and meatballs. Um, and so what we have started doing is we have started talking to Jack about whatever it is that we're going to communicate, order at the restaurant, or, you know, I had a fever, whatever it is that we're going to communicate to the other person. And then we give him kind of a script or a, a visual something so that he can say, I want spaghetti and meatballs. And it helps him. Um, but another tip that we have that I know you do, Jawanda, because you're such a relationship person, um, is we have favorite places where we go and we have favorite doctors that we see where we practice these skills as we're kind of developing them with, with a young child. I mean, Jack's 11. Um, so I think that's a really important lesson. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, Rachel, what about socially? We all have to advocate for ourselves socially. I, um, I do it all the time. I'm sure your mom does it and your dad. How are ways that you advocate for yourself socially? Uh, I try to be kind to everyone. I try to show respect. But sometimes it's hard if people are not nice to you. I don't like heights, but I don't like heights that like clean up at high ball games. I, um, I tell my friends that I can't sit up high. I would, I would say sit on the lower benches with me. Sometimes they, sometimes they did, and sometimes they don't. Uh, they didn't, but it made me feel apart when they sit with me. So it's kind of like friends who can ask over feel like a part. Sometimes, you know, be like to sit up, you know, too high in the grass or like for Casey, whatever. But, um, you know, it's, you know, not everybody will like high. I love roller coasters, but sometimes we have to be more respectful to our people who have staff and them. That's right. And, you know, I have a follow-up question because I like what you said about if you don't want to be, I don't like to sit up high in stadiums either. It gives me a funny feeling in my stomach. So if you don't want to sit up high in the stadium, um, what if you have a friend that doesn't like to be low in the stadium, then how do you kind of work together to find something that's in the middle maybe? Yes. What do you do if somebody else wants to sit up high and you want to sit low and they, they're afraid to sit low, what would you do? I don't think we've ever had that happen. You no, know, for example, I might, I might, for example, um, if, if I do have friends up high or whatever, I just go with the flow. I, I go with the flow and I mean, I know I don't like saying high and stuff, but if I my, my, my friends or may say, uh, uh, state games, for example, of course, we don't see it, we don't always see up high, we see in the middle, not not up high. Of course, I don't see people go sit up high. Of course, but I have friends who, uh, you know, like even my boyfriend can also help me too to sit in the middle, and we can all be all together, not just yeah. by by yourself. Just stick sit, sit together with your friends. Stick together, be friends, and I love what you said. Go with the flow. Yes, and you know, actually, I think another distinction is that Rachel has a depth perception, um, a bit of a fear of height. So it's like, she's almost trembling if she has to go up high on those bleachers. And you know, bleachers are where you've got plexiglass 
are just worse than there's some places you can sit that it doesn't bother but you. But it's different when you go to school or college, it's very different than, than card games stuff too. Yes. Well, but it's a phobia for Rachel. If it's just somebody that they just want to set up, I think that's a little bit different. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I think she did also learn that sometimes the friends aren't going to sit there with you. They're going to go sit where they want to. And she also did a pretty good job. I saw her do this of what she said there at the end of maybe moving up just part way, but not as far. But yeah. Rachel usually would have other people come sit with her. Yes. It, she, she wasn't going up high. So she's going to plant herself right down there on that bottom bleacher and other people would come and sit with her. So, yeah. And uh, I think like your two beers or whatever who's fair to sit with you. Yeah. And Rachel and advocacy, sometimes we have to stick to our guns and say, this is what I value and I need to stay here. And, and you have to be strong with what you need and what you belong, where you belong, right? That's what the mama would say to me. Yep. I like it. Jawanda, I imagine you probably did a lot of advocacy for Rachel in school. Can you tell us about any successes that you had? You told us about graduating. That's the big one. That's that's a big one. Uh, you know, I asked my husband about this last night because oh. you said one. <laughs> We'd have a lot. I want to tell you two quick. Uh, one was getting in kindergarten. Oh. Um, we went to a school. Um, they told me, uh, in fact, when we found out the elementary we were zoned for, everybody said, oh, they they don't do such a good job. And we were living in Memphis at the time. And somebody said, well, you know, I don't think they've had special education for very long there. And I said, well, not really sure how that could be since IDEA was passed in 1975. But right. it was hard. It was, but our first IEP meeting, I'm, I'm a believer you set the tone in the beginning and um, very big on you set the tone in the beginning. So we basically drew a line in the sand and said, um, she's gonna be included in gen ed. And we said 13 times during a meeting, I have it on recorded if you want. <laughs> um, we know our child best. The law says Rachel should be in the least restrictive environment. The least restrictive environment for Rachel is the gen ed classroom and that's what we want. And they had somebody from the district office there. Long story short, five and a half hour meeting. We took a break towards, the, well, probably three hours in, we took a break because everybody was tired. And um, when we came back, the guy from, they started, we only had to say it one more time and they went along with it. Yay. And two things happened. And, and I drew that line in the sand, hoping and praying that I knew what I was doing. I'd been to all these workshops and I had educated myself, so important to educate yourself, but you don't really know until you're in the middle of it. And I thought, well, if so, and I've said this at IEP meetings, if somebody's gonna be wrong, it needs to be me. Because when Rachel's 25, I'm the one that has to live with the decisions, not, no matter how much you love my child, the, her kindergarten teacher's not gonna be living with that when she's 25. Not right. so, no, but so, um, <laughs> We found out what happened during the break. Um, the district guy said, y'all need to give them what they've asked for because it's what the law says. And the preschool teacher who was going to be her special education teacher refused to sign the IEP because she said that Rachel could not function in a gen ed classroom. And I mm. did send her and the principal from that school a graduation invitation. <laughs> um, from high school uh, but something else really beautiful happened and it was not planned um rachel's kin rachel went to preschool at a private preschool because they didn't have inclusive preschool for us and we were fortunate rachel was potty trained at three <laughs> and so a lot of our friends kids couldn't go to private preschools uh, because that was one of the rules. Right. So we were fortunate. So Rachel went to this great preschool and her preschool teacher came and we did our opening stuff at the IEP meeting. And, you know, we did our mission statement. Rachel introduced herself and left, blah, 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 blah. They talked about strengths and then they said, okay, let's talk about, I don't remember what they call it. We call it challenges, but they said, so let's go to challenges. And Miss Dickey raised her hand and said, oh, 
I have some things I want to share because you didn't get everything down. She said it very kindly. She was real sweet and she was terrified. Uh-huh. Through tears, she, and I start crying telling it, through tears, she talked about how Rachel had taught them so much. And she talked uh-huh. about the things they had learned from her and the things that she was good at. And it was just beautiful and unplanned. And anyhow, I truly believe getting her in gen ed kindergarten, um, and, and we did make some changes through the year. You cannot make people do inclusion, meaningful inclusion. You can only do it to a point. Agreed. Uh, and then unless you've got money to hire lawyers and blah, 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 and most people don't. But you can do some give and take, and you have to figure out what's really, mo- in my opinion, you need to figure out what's really most important to you and focus on that. And we did have some give and take in there, but in the beginning, we drew the line in the sand because I knew if we didn't, that we'd, you know, that we'd be clawing our way out of that self-contained classroom. Cause that's what they recommended that Rachel would be in a self-contained classroom, except for PE, uh, music, the specials and my other thing was, if you can't make inclusion work with Rachel, you don't have a prayer with anybody else. <laughs> yeah, we had a very similar experience and similar outcome. And um, But I do agree with you that, you know, even with attorneys, even if you go to due process and get a ruling um, and you're ordered to do, do inclusion, if that, you know, put that in finger quotes, um, unless there's buy-in, it's not going to work. And so, you know, the, the order is not always the best outcome because you've got to have buy-in. I do a talk on um, a book that I love called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, where we talk about buy-in and the importance of a little bit of meaningful conflict and that kind of thing for that very reason. So, yeah. We had great teachers. We had very few teachers. I mean, we had some teachers that weren't great, but didn't cause problems. Just a few that caused problems. It was more administrative. One other quick thing about a win. Yeah, Shakespeare. When Rachel went to high school, oh, yes. um, people actually asked me at, out in the community how I got Rachel and Gen Ed at her high school. And I said, well, it's what the law says for starters. Right. But she was in Gen Ed classes and somebody said to me, well, why do you want her in Gen Ed English? Because she's going to have to read Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Romeo, do you hear her? Oh, yeah. Rachel loves Shakespeare. <laughs> so and she had such great teachers and th- the theater teacher, the English teacher, even the history teacher, we would hear her practicing and she would be in her Shakespeare voice. But I wrote a blog about it. Yes. I have a blog called The Sassy Southern Gal and I know you're familiar with it. Yes. I've blogged a lot about Rachel schooling and one of my favorite blogs is called Shakespeare and that inclusion thing because I don't like Shakespeare because of her. Maybe I can learn to like Shakespeare, but you know, how would we know that she liked Shakespeare if she never was exposed to it? So that's my other thing. We didn't really have to fight that much for that. They pretty much went along with us on that. I mean, it really was a pretty easy, we we had some train wrecks, but it didn't have to do with that. But I'm a big believer, expose them to the curriculum. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree entirely. And those are two great stories. I'm happy you shared all of them because that was awesome. Hey, Rachel, what about, so that's kind of high school and elementary school, you went away to college, which is awesome. And you've talked about that. Um, I imagine you probably had to advocate for yourself quite a bit while you were away at college. Can you tell us one story about that? Uh, okay. uh, one day, uh, one day at college, one day at college, I went to space baby class, and and at Missouri State anniversary, when I was down at the space at the space clinic, there was some paperwork that I had to do. He said, my mom needed to do it. I told her, my mom was not my guardian. I had, to, so my mom was not my guardian. So I, I, and I could do my paperwork. They did not believe me. So I, call, I called my mom and she told them, 
their paperwork was hard. And but and hey mom, did help did but my mom helped me. Oh my gosh, I love it. You said she's not my guardian. Well, it, it was one time that it was my mom was not my guardian and, it, and I was my own guardian because I was like, I don't know how old I was here, but um you were 19. 19 and I was not even turning to it till now. So I is it anyway, I would come my mom and if I and this I mean, I I never did I mean it's, it's like why of paperwork and everything it and now yeah, and hopefully that was like one time that was all we did and, and they figured out and we had uh, it, it was all figured out it was, it was fine it was okay after that and that meant it my my career it was great and after that I was done so that is awesome oh my gosh that's great yeah it's a funny I, thing because I get this call and they said we're filling out this paperwork and we um you know Rachel says that you aren't her guardian and I said I'm not and she confessed I said now she's probably going to need help filling it out and I'm happy to do that but you know let's presume competence if somebody tells you that they don't have a guardian you know anyhow it was funny I was proud of her yes so. uh, yes absolutely so you know that's kind of everyday advocacy and I know Jawanda professionally and then also as a um, grassroots advocate and working for other organizations in a volunteer role. You've done a lot of legislative advocacy or policy advocacy. Sometimes I just call it state and federal advocacy, where we go out and we talk to legislators. Um, can you kind of explain what that is and then also why it's so important that we do that kind of work? Um. Policy advocacy, legislative advocacy, federal, state advocacy, however you want to say it, there are a lot of things that are decided on a government level by uh, leaders, elected leaders. There are frequently unfunded mandates. There are frequently things like Individuals with Disabilities Education Act that um, is supposed to be partially funded by the federal government, but they've never got to their buy-in. Their buy-in is supposed to be 40%, and I think their highest was 22. I think right now we're probably at about 17. Anyhow, they come up with different laws that impact us, be it in school, medically, um, home and community-based services. And so it's important for us to have experts on the national level who can work with other disability groups to help those members of Congress hopefully pass things that are in the best interest of people with disabilities. We're talking about disabilities, it could be anything. It could be anything. It could be the railroad. They have they write right. the laws for everything and, and they don't know about everything. So that's why it's so important. That was a beautiful answer. And there it. you go. If we do not tell them, they will not know. Right. Um, a great story I have is we got to know Congressman Yoder was our congressman when we first started going to DC from here in Kansas. And we worked with him on the ABLE Act. And um, he talks about that he, in fact, I've got somewhere his words, he's done a couple of things. He, he's no longer in office with a new representative, but he talks about the first time he met us and that he had no idea that this was a need. But he said, but Jawanda and Rachel came and told their story and they told it effectively. They brought a need to our attention. We were able to work across party lines to pass the legislation. And then he said, there are a lot of slick lobbyists in expensive suits in the halls of Congress. What we need is more people like Rachel and Jawanda, his words, who will come and share their stories. And when they do that and do it effectively, we can make change. Yeah. That sums it up. All, I believe we all have a story and we can use that story to impact change. And advocacy is really about changing what is to what should be. So they set these policies on the federal level 
or the state level, and then they are implemented at state and local levels. So it's important for us to help shape the choices they make on the state level or help shape the school district policies to make sure they're in line with the intent of the legislation. And by, um, by serving on committees in your school, I cannot tell you the number of things I've been appointed to because I say no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> um, but we have to have our voices on those committees and testifying because if we don't tell them, I mean, and the other thing Congressman Yoder's office told me when we were trying to save Medicaid, I sent them a message and, you know, just talk about our concerns. Well, they told me, they said, they didn't know anything about home community-based waiver services. Right. And I'm certainly not an expert, but I knew more than they did, but I was able to get people on the phone with them that knew more than I did. And we were able to do some education, but if we don't tell them, they're not going to know. There's another lobbyist that's got their ear there. That high paid lobbyist from the insurance company or the skilled nursing facility is over there telling them what they need to do. Right. They need to hear from the Rachels and the Jawandas and the Ashleys and the parents saying, this is why this is not a good policy. Okay. So, and you don't, I mean, it is great if you can go see these people that makes such an impact, but you can do it through email and social media. And Rachel will give her tips, but my biggest tip is, well, do it. Tell your story. Be nice. Yeah. You will get much farther if you are nice and you can agree to disagree and move on. And you kind of got to put your personal feelings aside and your personal politics aside and know everything you ask for. Nobody, no matter which side of the aisle they're on, is going to vote for everything you want them to. Right. Take your win and move on to the next thing. So. And you know, that's so that's so easy when you're talking about your child or your sibling or <laughs> your niece or your nephew. You know, I um, sit in meetings with, I, I've told a story here at Ashley Barlow Company about a meeting that I had with Betsy DeVos. I was asked to run it at the ninth hour. I was really uncomfortable with the circumstances that led up to it and, and many other things. And I almost didn't go. I almost actually got on a flight and left DC. And I, I think right before I went to sleep, maybe in the middle of the night, I woke up and I thought, she needs to know Jack Barlow. That's all she needs to know. She needs to know when she's making decisions that there's a little blonde boy with a crooked smile who, whose mom had to work so hard for inclusion. She needs to know about us. And that's, I, I went and told our story and we had actually a really interesting, fruitful conversation that had nothing, you know, it had no impact on her policy. Ultimately, I don't think, but she knew that was one more story that she heard. And the more times you hear those stories, the more impactful it is. So I couldn't agree with you anymore. I want to know Rachel's tips. I love Rachel. You've got some tips. I see them here. We, we have a little planning document, the three of us. We're the dream team. So Rachel, what are your tips when you go in and you meet with, um, with legislators? What kinds of things do you think people should do? Always be nice. Always be nice and always say thank you. Always ask them to support something. Always take a one pager, put your picture on it, and post it on social media. Get to know your staff members. Never give up. Keep on asking. My mom says self-advocacy is a megaphone, but not a spirit. That is true. It is a marathon and not a sprint. And all of the things that you do, I know those one pagers are so important where you tell your story and you put your picture on it and you talk about why something is important to you. Um, that's really, that's good information, Rachel. Um, what kinds of things, maybe Rachel, this is probably a good question for you. What kinds of things do people advocate for in meetings with legislators? 
I used to be get I used to give my mega shares and one pager. Like I said before, uh easy I give my mega shares and one pager about me and hang it to them. When I went with my mom to Washington DC, I dressed up and looked nice because I want to make a great depiction. I I made my mega shares and I, and I have um, my, my one pager. They look at it and they talk to me about my hopes and dreams. I always ask them to sponsor or a support a bill like the ABLE Act or a permit bill or money for education. Simulan says I'm the best lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Senator Moran said that, that you're the best lobbyist in all of D.C. He did. Hit. Her pink house was unveiled in his office, you know. Oh, yes. Rachel's Sorry. pink house. That is a whole thing. Rachel, those are great tips, and those are things I do, too. And I have one more tip. Yeah. I bet it's something that you might have done before. Bring extra shoes. <laughs> <laughs> she usually wears boots, cowboy boots. Oh, that's smart. Well, yeah, because... But I, I bring extra shoes always. Yes. I did not bring extra shoes the first time that I went to Capitol Hill and I saw the experts with their extra shoes and I thought, never again am I doing this in heels with no flip-flops to wear in between. You know, one of the things too that people forget to do is when you go in, I mean, you don't usually have very much time so you want to plan, but you can get to chit-chatting and never get to your business. So it's really important to make sure you get your ask in and always ask for something. I mean, even if we don't have a big legislative ask at that moment, say, hey, we always need money for IDEA. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's always something that you can ask for. But once when we were trying to pass Able to Work, um, Rachel and a group from Kansas were in Senator Moran's office and he came in and saw him, you're frequently meeting with staff and that's okay. People don't realize how important those staff members are in getting to know them because they plead your case. Right. That's almost always the people you're gonna be dealing with. So you wanna get to know them. But she, we were, they were in, I actually wasn't in this meeting. Uh, I had to go with some others to a meeting and one of our state representatives had gone with us, the one that carried the ABLE Act for us. And so, Senator Moran came into the meeting and they told him about uh, able to work and he didn't commit to it, but he was walking to this luncheon with them. So they stood up to leave and Rachel went over to him and said, Senator Moran, I need you to sponsor the able to work act today. And he said, done and told the staffer to take care of it. And then he talked about it at the luncheon they were at. And wow. said, the, all of you need to go be like Rachel. So that was pretty cool. So that is cool. You just, all you had to do was ask Rachel and everybody else is probably nervous to do it because he was the top dog and you just did it. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Rachel, you know, I think it's something that I've learned in meetings with um, the staff people and with Congress people is that um, they are much more inclined to listen to self-advocates and they want to hear from self-advocates more than they want to hear from us, the parents at the table or ex other quote-unquote experts at the table. Um, I know that you have developed relationships with lots of your legislators. How have you done that? How have you made friends with your Congress people? She's looking at her notes. I know. I I, I have praised her for looking for okay. having notes. Is that one more time? So how could you tell us how you have made friends with some of your legislators? Oh, sorry. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> okay. How I make friends with Mickey Sayers and Marlicate. Marlicate, conversation Marlicate. For me, I for me I just talked with them about the Able Act and my wife. I buy them to the oil garden. 
and sometimes they well they come they come and see me I visit them in their offices and send them emails I get to know their staffs and and receive them a Christmas card and buy them to my graduation party my mom and me, me worked so hard to pass those bills and everything. They are really great friends. That's awesome. Yep, it's all about relationships, just like everything else in, in the world. Um, I think that's so, so important, Rachel. And I am grateful for the work that you do in advocacy. Jawanda, I have one last question. Um, on the advocacy topic. And um, my question really is kind of rooted in my own experience. I just kind of fell into advocacy. I think the people here in Cincinnati knew that I was an attorney and that I'm passionate. And so they said, hey, do you want to go to this thing on Capitol Hill? And I said, sure. Um, <laughs> and then I loved it. And, and the rest is history. Um, but, you know, there are people that want to get more involved and they just don't know how to get started. So if people want to get involved in advocacy, um, how, how could they do that? How could they get involved? Well, the first thing I would do is, uh, well, it's a twofold first. Find out who your elected officials are at every level. And there's very easy ways to do that in the age that we live in. Um, all kinds of websites where you can put in your address and it'll bring up, um, you may have to go to a couple of websites, but uh, you can put in who is my city councilman, who is my US representative and easily find it. And they usually have a way that you can contact those people, be it by email or phone. Uh, email is a real easy way to contact anybody. Um, and it's not as scary for a lot of people. Right. Um, but if you don't have a relationship with someone in the offices, like on the federal level, especially, you'll get dumped into an info box. So finding somebody, getting to know somebody in the office is good. But start out by finding who your legislators are. Also, get involved and look for information. There are many national organizations in we have those specific to the Down syndrome community, like the National Down Syndrome Congress or Global or um, whoever. Then there's other cross-disability organizations like the ARC. There's the Association for Educa APSI, which is edu um, employment. There's all kinds of different organizations where you can learn. The ARC is a great one because they're cross-disability. And they educate on that website. And then they have ways that you can sign up for policy alerts. And they basically walk you through things. They also have a national um, disability seminar every year. It was virtual the past two years in Washington, DC, where they've got a thousand people on the Hill going to offices. Um, if you're in the Down Syndrome community, the National Down Syndrome Congress has an advocacy training boot camp that is aimed at beginning advocates to walk them through. So you got to find out who your elected officials are. You got to get educated. Make sure you can trust who's educating you. Don't just pick anybody. Uh, your local organization, if you're involved in local organizations, regardless of disability, maybe it's a Down syndrome group, an autism group, disability rights. I part, I'm the chair of the board for Disability Rights Kansas. But I've worked into that role because that's who I've partnered with on a lot of legislation. So finding those people to partner with, but educate yourself, find out who your people are, and then start, put together your story. I mean, let, I'm trying to think of something, well, I'm trying to think of some, oh, I have a great example. They're not our family, it's another family. We have friends in Northwest Arkansas and their daughter, uh, Anna Lynn, wants to work in a hair salon. And the state of Arkansas's cosmetology laws would not allow her to work in a hair salon unless she was a licensed cosmetologist. So she's been training in school to learn how to wash hair and clean salon and, you know, do little things like that. But she couldn't work in a salon in Arkansas. 
So her mom has been to some of these advocacy trainings. She got hooked up with a state legislator. They got a bill wrote and it took, it, it was, it, it took them a bit of work, but they passed what's called Anna Lynn's Law. So now there is a different path for someone Absolutely, cosmetologists cosmetologists need to go to school and earn, um, earn, be educated and learn those degrees. Absolutely, Anna Lynn needs some training, but she doesn't need to be a cosmetologist to do that. So they worked and and passed a law, and she would tell you that she would be the last. She and her husband would be the last two people you would have ever dreamed would have been at the legislature testifying to get a law passed. Yeah. So. I think it's a great story that just shows how she learned and um, and connected with the right people for something that will be better for her daughter and lots of other people. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's a great example. Nobody can can teach people better than you can. I'm so grateful for your input. And Rachel, I'm grateful for your advocacy, both on the policy side of things and your self-advocacy. Thank you so much for that insight, you guys.